Greetings, dangerous strangers, and welcome to Unwholesome. Here, you'll find stories of the fantabulously fantastic, splendidly spooky, deliciously dreadful, wonderfully whimsical, and phantasmagorically gory. Truly, your source for all things wholly unwholesome. Open your heart, mind, and ears, and let's begin. Now we are pleased to bring you First Bite, a story about the cost of paranoia of the outside world. Join us for a quiet evening at home. started with a shiver upon waking. Evelyn, not me. The day I'm talking about started with a quiver. Evelyn was never good at managing her fear. She only slept with me, despite the best efforts of some of the dolls. Polly, most of all. The doll felt like a threat. The way Evelyn fawned all over her, telling Polly how perfect she was and that she couldn't live without her. The thing none of the dolls understood that they didn't perceive with their wide-eyed, glassy stares is that the living can be unruffleable in ways they simply can't. Every morning I woke up next to Evelyn, often the result of her morning quakes. I arched my back and shook off any of the night's flatness on my own. On the worst days, it took several minutes of grooming and I was still done before breakfast. Evelyn would have to preen Polly or any of the rest of them if they slept with us. She might never get them back to normal. And after taking all that time crafting them, poking all that hair into their porcelain scalps with her strange needles. So Evelyn's dolls did not see her shiver. I was, with no help grooming, her pretty fluffy. My name is Lulu, but she called me her pretty fluffy. I will say, it was the dolls she turned to when she asked if the walls were closing in. By then I had usually already jumped off the bed. The dolls never answered, but wherever I was, I made it clear that they were not. I moved my body under her dangling hand, used her finger to scratch behind my ears, or I just continued grooming. Sometimes I turned around and looked at her in that way that only a cat can, and left the room with my tail held high. Her brother and only living relative, Bernard, got me for her. He thought that it might do her good to have something to take care of. He thought that nurturing something might coax her out of the house. I don't know about any of that. Every day she got me my food first. I made sure of this. Vocally and by obscuring her interaction with anything other than my cans.
two pieces of toast, which she pretended to feed to Polly before eating them herself over the sink. Sometimes, if I didn't touch the doll at all, she let me get up on the table and nibble the eggs. She spent her mornings making dolls in what used to be her parents' bedroom. She would say, Don't be jealous. Even if I keep this doll, it's you I can't live without. Any attention I paid their mutual need for each other was peripheral to my actual concerns in life. These activities had nothing to do with me. I used this time to finish grooming, lick my bowl completely clean, watch birds out the window, jump on her table, roll around until she called me her pretty fluffy, or nap. As Evelyn created, she talked to the doll she constructed about her school days, dolls, Bernard, whatever book she was reading, or her parents' death. Her mother fell victim to a robbery gone wrong. Her father died in a dynamite blast gone wrong. During the construction of the dam, topics really limited themselves if you never left the house. For example, this story, which admittedly has started with a thousand identical mornings, might contain every interesting thing that will ever happen to me. Or interesting to anyone else. There is nothing more interesting than the refined inner world of a cat. Last time Evelyn left the house was 15 years ago. Bernard was the only one who came around, and only on Wednesdays and holidays. Even the mail was delivered to a post office box after one too many nervous fits, some of which involved fainting spells at the approach of the mailman. Oh, the things she said he wanted to do to her, from flaying to beating, from dismemberment to kidnapping. It was never the same day to day, but he, like everyone, always had violent intentions. I didn't blame her. He always incited as robust a hiss as I could muster. Every day for lunch, including that day, she ate an egg salad sandwich on white bread, which she also pretended to feed to Polly. Not to ruin anything, but dinner was always omelets. Bernard, who brought us our food, tried getting her to eat other things, but they spoiled on the shelves. The kitchen smelt of rot for a week. Every afternoon, she read and played the violin. She looked out the window, though it was always vexing. There was always someone out there with ill intentions. Vampires and hucksters. Witch hunters wrongly after her. Collectors of hair, eyes, and bones. That day, children haunted their porches with knives for carving pumpkins. That afternoon, she should have left the curtains closed. Instead, she and Polly sat there watching them. 
Lynn sat neglected next to her. She muttered about the children being in her mind, reading it. I jumped up on the chair, knocking the violin down. She chastised me, but I didn't care. She told Polly, not for the first time, that when she was younger, a cat would get put outside for doing something like that. How was she going to put me outside when she couldn't get within three feet of her front door without breathing heavy and stumbling, sweating and clutching at her chest as if she could pull something laden out from deep within, fainting? into the bedroom and didn't wake up until a knock at the door in the late afternoon. Bernard wasn't due for another three days. Besides, he only sometimes knocked and he always let himself in. I wasn't in the least curious about it and would have hidden had I thought she might answer. Also, I might have stayed in the bedroom grooming, stretching, scratching the bedpost, or going into Evelyn's closet and letting the hems of her dresses glide along my back. But I was hungry. I sauntered out to find the living room comfortably dim, much nicer than the usual condition of being altogether too lit after Evelyn took Polly around and used her porcelain hand to turn on the lights. Polly remained on the windowsill from when she and Evelyn sat in a chair together. Evelyn had migrated across the room where she wobbled low to the floor in a seated crouch. I went over and told her quite loudly that I was hungry. It was time for her to get me cans. She could get herself something, too, if she wanted. She said, Oh, Lulu. Oh, my pretty Fluffy. I forgot what day it was. I told her that it was eating day, right now. I forgot to have Bernard turn off the porch light and... She normally kept it on to deter crime. The switch was too close to the front door for her or Polly. There was a knock at the door, and the children chimed. Trick or treat. They're coming! They're coming! I, I think they're going to scalp me! Trick or treat! <laughs> humans are a mystery to me. As an example, I do not know what these human kittens meant with their taunt of trick or treat. Nor do I know what they wanted with the hair or scalp of an adult human. Or why, if they couldn't just use their human kitten hands to open the door, Evelyn was scared at all. Perhaps this would all be within my scope, but every time I thought such things, I got bored. I told her once more that I was hungry. She responded by snatching me up. She held me close to her chest. I did not scratch. I would have gotten in trouble, and she would have delayed feeding me, possibly until the next day. I even went for several seconds without wiggling, but the children knocked again and she squeezed. Instinct took over and I leapt from her clutches. She became mournful that she had left her Polly over on the windowsill. I went into the kitchen, hoping she would follow. I yelled from there to no avail. 
I wandered around the legs of the table and chairs, but I was alone. I went back into the living room, which from Evelyn's dramatic cowering you would think was the dying room. Her back was to a corner. She tried to stand. She slid up a foot, down six inches, up some more. I wound around her legs in an attempt to help. She fell, forcing me to skitter and jump back. She called me a bad cat. Inappropriately, I would say. This was an affront, and I had half a mind to leave the room, but I would not be forced out by her slander. I went over to the windowsill and sat at the opposite end as Polly. Evelyn looked at us and over toward the direction of the front door. She gave up on standing, dropped herself to the floor and crossed the room in a scrambling crawl to arrive beneath us. I looked down at her. She whispered, Pretty fluffy. Come on, little Lulu. Knock Polly into my hands. Then we can all be together. Together was good. We ate together. I stood, a little reluctant to move toward the doll. If I broke her, Evelyn would call me a bad cat again, which I wasn't. Worse, it would be a bit of betrayal to all cats everywhere if I let her know that I could understand what she was saying. I turned away from the doll and flicked it with my tail. Evelyn sighed. I looked over her shoulder to see her roll her eyes, although I don't know which of us she was reacting to. The doll for being, as ever, inert. Me for acting like a cat does. Or herself for expecting different from us. Three things happened in almost simultaneity. Evelyn reached for Polly from where she sat on the floor. There was a knock, and I jumped straight up in response to the noise hitting the doll. Polly fell to the floor, landing on her face, which broke into a dozen porcelain pieces. A piece stuck in Evelyn's hand. Blood flowed through the slight partition in Polly's lips that had always made her look as though she was about to talk or breathe. Evelyn did not seem to notice her own injury. She stared down instead at her broken companion. I don't understand dolls, but I can tell you. Bernard sold most of the dolls his sister made. Polly was, in Evelyn's words, special. Particularly beautiful, with perfect blush on her lips, cheeks, and eyelids. Back when she was making Polly, Evelyn spent the morning, afternoon, and evening on her, neglecting her reading and violin. As she did so, Evelyn told the doll's secrets unshared with the others, prior or since. Polly's first memory must have been of Evelyn talking. One of her eyes rolled around on the floor, having detached from her head in the fall. I did not move from where I landed on the floor in front of Evelyn. In stillness, my back remained slightly arched. I couldn't be the thing that broke the spell. A drop of blood hit the floor and splattered. There was another knock at the door. 
after me, Evelyn said. She put her hands back as if to slide along the floor away from the window. In doing so, she pushed the porcelain further into her hand. Her breath came in spurts. Tears lined her eyes and she squeaked out the words. Don't scream. Don't scream. I moved to look at her hand. She told me to stay where I was. Normally, a cat should not listen to her human too much, lest they forget who is in control, if not of the house, of themselves. I am in control of myself. Even still, I sat and pretended to lick my paw as she pulled the shard of Polly out of her hand. Blood came from the wound in a gush. She held her skin together to no avail. She held it to her chest, creating a red bloom on her dress. She whimpered. Even in the absence of a knock, the ambient noise of immature demons outside surrounded us. She was not used to walking on all fours. She faced the wrong way and was challenged by her wounded limb. She scooted back away from the window, leaving Prince. She moved toward the kitchen, and for one brief moment, she seemed more like a cat, albeit a graceless one. She stood once she was no longer visible from the window. I'd have done the same if hiding from my enemies. She did not turn on a light. That was something she always had Polly do. She stood at the sink, turned the water on, and put her hand underneath it. With this, she bored me. I had been hoping for some food. After all, starving ourselves would not bring Polly back. I returned to the scene of the accident and sniffed at the blood on the floor. I licked it. I, Evelyn's pretty fluffy, had been reduced to this, although I will say, it tasted good. Voices at the window said, this is the house where the recluse lives. They called her a batty old shut-in before their voices faded. I was done concerning myself with them until they knocked on the window. I jumped. The pieces of Polly's face rocked around me. Evelyn whimpered in the kitchen. I went to her. She stood in the dark at the sink, her hand wrapped in her skirt. The banging came from everywhere all at once. They knocked on the front and back door, and all the windows, including the kitchen window that Evelyn faced. She jumped back and dropped to the ground again. She muttered to herself incomprehensibly. They were out to get her. She had been telling me this my entire life. We crawled to Polly's remains. We sat paralyzed amidst the noise and our bloody paw prints. The knock stopped one window at a time, until all was silent. What should we do, my pretty Fluffy? It was the calm before the storm. Her lack of awareness pained me. 
The children beyond the window started to cry out in every primal way that a human voice can. Primitive and stupid, these demons began to circle the house so that their cries moved. I hid in the safety beneath the chair, but I could see everything. Evelyn put her hands to her ears. She tried to make herself small. The children banged their hands against the walls. It was worse than thunder. Evelyn pulled herself close to the chair. She petted the upholstery even as they got dangerously close to the window, even as they took up rocks and threw them at the house. A window broke in her doll-making room. She rolled into a ball and clenched her eyes shut. She clutched her chest and sobbed silently. Although we were face to face, I cannot say the moment she died. But I think it may have been when the unexpected happened. When the children withdrew as they came. The rocks stopped after the window broke. The circling grew slow and the beating of hands got weak. They took their cries pent up throughout the year and headed down the street. But all too late. Each of these was too late for Evelyn, who lay dead of fright next to her Polly. It was a cool night, and a quiet one, once the children returned to their homes. I hated to do it to Evelyn, but I hadn't gotten my supper. Besides, there was already an opening, so it was out of her wounded hand that I took the first bite. This has been Unwholesome. All episodes are written by me, Meredith Lindgren, and directed and scored by Nathan Paul. This was First Bite, read by me with help from Lisa Hawks as Evelyn. Thank you for listening, and have an unwholesome day.